You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. As we head into the 4th of July weekend, a time when many people are heading out of town or settling in for a few days with a pile of summer reading, we've been thinking about books. More specifically, what books got us hooked on literature? Not necessarily the first books we loved as a kid, but the novel we read as a teenager or a young adult that set the bar for how we experience literature as an adult. The one that ignited your passion for reading or was transformative in your life. Give us a call and tell us what book did that for you. Think back to the time when you were a teenager or a young adult or and uh, what book really just sort of changed the way you thought about literature, about words and ideas and images and narrative. Uh, we're joined by two local authors and literature lovers who are going to help us guide this conversation. Nicholas Rambus is a local author and professor of English at the University of Detroit Mercy. And Amy Hamerl is author of Detroit Hustle and an organizer of the Shady Ladies Literary Society here in Detroit. We'll get a little bit of info about that a little later. Uh, but first, let's start with you guys. Uh, tell us about the book that changed the way uh, you think about reading and and sort of talk about how important that experience is to readers and, and is to literature. Nick, I'll start with you. Okay, yeah. So in eighth grade, I uh, was forced to read, it turned out to be a great thing, uh, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, yeah, dystopian. And uh, <laughs> it was the first, I had read other novels, but that was the first book that I I fell into. I fell into the world. Uh -huh. It seemed so textured and so real. And I think it was the first book that I really empathized with the characters in a deep way that made them feel as if they were people who just existed in a different dimension. Right. I couldn't see them or feel them, but they existed for me. Yeah. And it it also bothered I me. Mean, it's a very dark book, and uh, not I was a very. Say, that is a very dark. It book. is, and I wondered. <laughs> I've always, you know, what I wondered, what is it about? It's a question I didn't. I didn't formulate at the time, but it's something I think about a lot, and we I talk with my students about it. You know, why are we attracted to stories that aren't happy uh -huh. necessarily? And what you know, what 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 a great thing art does that it can create. A bleakness sometimes uh, and a dystopian feel, and yet we want to return to it. Yeah, you, and, can't, uh, you can't stay away from you it. You can't stay away from it. What is it? And, and I, I find that that book is, uh, you know, it also reveals something else I think that's pretty interesting about great writing or great art is that you return to it later and it unfolds with new meanings. So as an adult, I've, you know, I've read it again, and of yeah. course the dystopian qualities have a different resonance. Sure, now. sure. I mean, we could actually have a whole show on the idea of rereading the things that we read, particularly as teenagers. Uh, I actually went through an exercise with that with uh, with my girlfriend uh, a few years ago where we reread high school, essentially. Uh, and, and it was really interesting how different the books all seemed. In some cases, uh, I remembered them 
uh, incorrectly uh, remember details about them or the the arc of the narrative incorrectly as as a teenager. But of course, that's another show, so <laughs> we won't we won't dwell on that. Uh, Amy, talk about the book that uh, that changed the way you read. Well, I was driving back here from New York yesterday, and so I had fourteen hours to actually think about this question, <laughs> and I realized so there is a special book. Um, and it is Madeleine Lingle's A Wrinkle in Time. Uh-huh. Um, but it's because it's not just specifically that book. So I grew up in rural Colorado, really poor. Um, and the only sort of refuge I had outside of that world was the library. Yeah. And so it was just sort of this whole network of books. And the librarian there who said, when you've read through everything, I'll get you more from Denver. Like they invested in it. My mother, one year for Christmas, could not afford um, Christmas gifts. So what she gave me was a library card and the opportunity and promise that we would go every Saturday. And so why I finally decided on Madeline Lingle was because I remember as an only child reading that book and wanting a little brother like Charles Wallace. I wanted to be (laughs) Meg and like sitting on the back of my father's pickup truck on the tailgate, like wishing on a star for Charles Wallace and promising that if I got that little brother, I would, I would be my, I would be Meg for him. And now I have a little brother, Matthew, who's 10 years younger than me. and, And I've held very firm to that relationship. And so, you know, that sort of changed everything for me, both in terms of my life as a young person, but I also think we have that, book that changes us at every different stage in our life. So yeah. in the high in high school, I discovered the Russians. And, I, you know, you go through that typical stage. And I was like, crime and punishment, Dostoevsky. <laughs> you know, and then you discover the beats. Um, right now, at this stage of my life, I would say that I've been introduced, probably belatedly, to uh, James Baldwin and I'm Not Your Negro and, like, learning about that. Yeah. And that's changing my life and how I think about the world around me. So the thing I love about reading and literature is it, it we never stop learning from it, and those defining books happen at every sort of phase of yeah, our lives. Yeah, uh, It's funny that you say A Wrinkle in Time did that for you as a child. I have a similar experience with that, and that in, in that, that was the book uh, that marked the division between me being read to by my mother and me grabbing the book and saying— well, I'm going to do this on my on, on my own. I mean, I was so captivated by that story, and the, well, it was really the the surreality of of what was going on in that book that made me want more of it uh, every day. And and I wasn't going to wait for my mom to to say it's time to read it. I said, no, no, I'm going to do this myself. So for me, that book was was transformative in that way. Um, but but I I have to say the, the the book that I think fits this category a little better is. Lord of the Flies, uh, which I read in the seventh grade, uh, an assigned book in a, in a class that was called Reading at our school. Uh, we had a, a, a class that was just about reading novels, and we read them together. We would read them at home at night. Uh, the teacher would affi- assign a few chapters, and the next day in class, you're expected to be able to, to talk about what you had read. And this is in an all-boys Jesuit high school, uh, a group of 12-year-olds reading this story about a group of 12-year-olds from a, from a military school who get stranded on you know, this island. And I just remember so vividly how, how much we could, it felt like we could feel the things that they were feeling and we could sort of relate to the relationships between the people in the book uh, in terms of what was going on in our class and in our school. And, and I remember thinking, boy, this is a really interesting way to think about the world, about the world that I live in is through this, through this book. So that, that book really, uh, really changed it for me. Yeah, and you know that's interesting because 
uh, you, a book like that pulls you into the world of other people in a way that I think even knowing other people in quote real life can't. Yes. You know, if you right. if you get into the mind of someone, you're walking with in their shoes, even if they're not likable, even if they're very much different from you. Right, right. And you know that's that's the the beauty and the terror of of, of art is that it, it when it works well, it puts us with the other. Right. Uh, whoever that may be. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, but I don't think anything else can do it quite like a novel yeah. with no pictures where you, you are, it becomes real. The you pictures create, are in your mind. You co-create right. it. Yeah. 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 And I think I loved The Outsiders for a similar reason as you loved, you know, Lord of the Flies, uh-huh. a sense of suddenly you've got a group of teenagers who the story is being told through their eyes, through the way they would talk. They had agency in their own lives. Yes. And I didn't actually know until recently that Essie Hinton was actually a woman and that she was a young woman when she wrote that book herself. And so she wrote it because there was nothing out there that sort of told the story of, of her life and what teenagers were going through from their perspective. So I think that one really resonated with me, too, even though I didn't know that backstory, just sort of feeling that urgency and primalness really yeah. resonated. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Nicholas Rumbus. He is a local author and professor of English at the University of Detroit Mercy. Also here is Amy Hamerl, author of Detroit Hustle and organizer of the Shady Ladies Literary Society here in Detroit. We're talking about books, the books that sort of transformed us as readers, maybe uh, as children, maybe as teenagers, young adults. Maybe you're reading something right now that makes you think about literature or the world around you really differently. And of course, we want to hear from you. What was that book that stands out as the sort of marker between you as one kind of reader and another? Uh, What's the book that you maybe go back to over and over again because of that? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's uh, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we will try to work your comments into the conversation. We do have some some Twitter responses already. Uh, Jama says The Color Purple was that book uh, for her. Uh, Drew says Tuck Everlasting, a book I have not read. Uh, but I would love to be able to talk to, <laughs> to Drew and see what it was about that novel that played uh, played that role. Again, go to Twitter and hashtag us and uh, we'll, we'll read those off or go to Facebook and put it on the WDET Facebook page. Let's go to Ricardo in Detroit. Ricardo, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Um, I would say that the book that transformed me as a reader would be James Baldwin's Go Tell on the Mountain. Um, it just, I was able to relate to it in, in, in a great way, um, having been growing up in a very um, strict and rigid Pentecostal setting <laughs> uh, and kind of questioning myself uh, as far as my identity sexually uh, and Baldwin was able to kind of embrace both sides of him his church side and he kind of had this affection for the organist that he never really explicitly came out and said but it was very much implied uh, and how he kind of wrestled with you know his upbringing versus what he was feeling on the inside for this for this person in the church yeah, uh, I, I wonder. I, I, I identify that book <clears throat> so strongly with themes of father-son uh, relationships. It, was that one of the things y- you pulled out of it, Ricardo? Oh, uh, 
I definitely see where that theme um, uh, was very strong. It didn't necessarily resonate for me because I had a very uh, loving and accepting relationship with my father and still do, even though he was an officer in the church. Uh, uh-huh. I didn't have um, I didn't have a father who was um, who in any way um, who in any way didn't support me. Um, whether he agreed with me or not. So yeah. I, I, I see where that theme was very strong, <laughs> but it, it didn't necessarily resonate with my person. Yeah, I feel like that's I feel like that's one of the sort of central tensions in that uh, in that narrative is the, is that strictness uh, of the father and the the sort of oppression really of uh, of the son and his own sense of self uh, by that father figure. But but thanks very much for that call. Uh, Ricardo, let's go to Sarah in Royal Oak. Sarah, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Um, Thanks for letting me on the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to say that, uh, I say the book that resonated with me the most was kind of an obvious one, but uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was definitely the book for me because it was the first time that made me, uh, I enjoy disgusting books and I like that kind of setting and that was the first time where um, we talked about perspective of the book and how the fact that the book is written through a young girl's eyes uh-huh. gives it this innocence, and uh, she's outside of the adult world, so she can look in on the adult world and think about it. It also gave me the idea of how uh, people act as individuals and how people act as a group. Yeah. When uh, the people are in a mob mentality, and she points out the one man, you know, and talks to him, because that's something that happened to me many times, but I couldn't make sense of it, like why people would act one way with me and then act a different way with other people. Sure. And then that kind of clicked with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, thanks very much for that call. Mockingbird, I think, you know, it's a very, it's a very complex novel. I think there are very complex uh, feelings that people have about it, especially now, now that we've seen where it came from, I think, uh, and, and the first iteration of it. I hear a lot of people criticize Mockingbird because it's, you know, it's overly simplistic and the Atticus character is is somewhat unrealistic in in sort of the the, the godlike uh, quality that's assigned to him. But but I thought Sarah's analysis of it and what she drew out of it is is the virtue, the real virtue of that story. Yeah, I think so and I think Sarah's point about perspective raises this larger point about what a novel can do that other forms of art or even relationships can't, which is to drop you into this perspective. And it's interesting because when I think of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and the controversy surrounding it and what its meaning is, is it conservative or liberal? Is it progressive or reactionary? How does it fit? And those ideas change over time. Uh, the early novel, when it was first, it's a fairly new genre, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's you know, 16, 1700s. And that was one, especially in America, in the Puritan context, one of the big pushbacks against the novel was precisely what Sarah speaks to, that it allows an individual reader, a little boy or a little girl, to enter into the world of someone else's perspective who might create her own meaning. Yes. We, we, three of us here and all of our listeners might read Mockingbird and come away with different. Now, there's something very democratic about that, almost anarchic. Yeah. And uh, in early American culture, that was considered a problem because you were supposed to have your feelings validated by the church or right. your father or the community. And here you could go into the privacy of your own room and develop a relationship and come to your own opinions, like Sarah was talking about, with perspective. And that's, that's, that's it's such a radical thing it about is. the novel, yeah. I think. Yeah. I actually, ahead, I actually have a confession to make, which is that I've never read it. Uh-huh. I somehow managed to get through <laughs> yeah, high school and college yeah, yeah, without it. Yeah. But I think about, you know, 
sort of in the same way of an overly simplistic but really powerful for me it is Henrik Ibsen's play Enemy of the People, mm-hmm. which President Trump uses enemy of the people wrong incorrectly every time the enemy of the people was actually the person who stood up in that but it made me want to be a journalist it was the the book that opened up that world for me but the others is so in college I took a series of classes on Chicano and uh, Chicana lit and I got introduced to Victor Valesenor in his book um, uh, you know his just his great multi-generational point of view book Reign of Gold and I actually didn't finish it for class, so I went back as an adult and read it. And it was some of what has formed my ideas now about immigration and the other experience. Like as a young girl growing up in Colorado, you know, that was sort of the tensions with it, you know, within our community was immigration was, you know, uh, Latino, you know, people is figuring that out and seeing that that through a different lens and empathy that I might have normally seen it gave yeah. me a whole different worldview, which isn't that what we love about books. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the book in your life that changed you as a reader. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. We will be right back on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for tuning in. My guests are Nicholas Rambis. He's a local author and professor of English at the University of Detroit Mercy. Also here is Amy Hamerl. She is author of Detroit Hustle and organizer of the Shady Ladies Literary Society here in Detroit. We're talking about books, the books that changed you as a reader, the book that sort of opened up the world of literature to you in a different way way. We, of course, want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Amy, tell us a little more about the Shady Ladies Literary Society. What is that? Well, the Shady Ladies Literary Society just got started last month. We just had our first event. We call it Book Club, but better. The idea is, you know, emerging authors can often have a hard time figuring out how to promote their books, getting their stories and ideas out there. Publishers don't invest in them. Bookstores can't really bring them unless they're already in book tour. And also the publishing world doesn't take Detroit seriously as a destination for great literature. Really they true. don't really send send writers here. So we wanted to, my, my co-founders and I wanted to create something that would be so cool that publishers are like, dang, I want my people to go there. <laughs> and also could introduce Detroiters to emerging authors. So we're really focusing on emerging women authors. Introduce them before they blow up, before they become the next big thing. So we are bringing uh, emerging women authors to Detroit for dinner in interesting locations because I think fundamentally we believe that the world is getting more polarized and the thing that can bring us together are stories and food and there's no better way to do that than books so we're we just had our first event in elmwood cemetery with two (laughs) great summer beach reads and we're working on planning our next event for next month very cool so and and anyone is welcome to to come out and join these yeah anybody can be a shady lady men are shady ladies a shady lady (laughs) is anybody who believes in the power of stories to change your life yeah that, that is a great that is a great motto uh so good luck with that and uh We'll see how that all turns out. Uh, on Twitter, 
or on Facebook, Carol says, The Little House on the Prairie series had me hooked when I was a little girl, learning about life so different than my own. And ever since, I have enjoyed memoirs for the same reason. Mike on Twitter says, I always had a hard time reading. Then I picked up Harry Potter at age 19, and I haven't turned back. That's a wonderful story, uh, I think, uh, about the way that uh, that certain kinds of literature provides entree to people uh, in different ways and to people who maybe had a hard time with uh, with words and, and stories. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Matthew in Dearborn. Matthew, welcome to Detroit today. How you doing? Good. Uh, the book I read as a teenager that I thought was interesting was uh, Jacob Bernowski's The Ascent of Man. And what what was it about that? Uh... It's how science changed humanity, and for mostly the better. Well, for the better, not mostly for the better. <laughs> uh huh. And did you read that? I mean, did you read that uh, as as something that they assign in school, or did you just pick it? Oh, no, it, it was just an interesting book. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting. I, that's one I don't know that I've heard. Uh, Lots of other people refer to that way. So I'd have uh, to toss in. Then, of course, we can't forget Heinlein and Asimov for similar ideas, like bringing in the science fiction elements to really contemplate the bigger issues of what it means to yeah. be human. Yeah, I was a big fan of Asimov as a as a teenager. Um, uh, not Heinlein so much. But, I was uh, a big fan of Heinlein's covers. Is that right? Yeah, and that's the same with Bradbury. This was pre-internet when I'd go, you know, you get onto these authors, and back in the 70s, you know, you'd go to the bookstore and just go to the B's or the H's. Right. And look, and these were those Dell books, and they had the most beautiful, they were pulp, you know, they right, had that kind right. of yellow facing pages, and they were thin, but they had these covers that were beautiful, and I was always fascinated with the way, sometimes I got the feeling that the covers weren't even uh, drawn by anyone who had read the book. You know, or I kept waiting for the scene yeah. on Heinlein with the big green, you know, and it never came. So there is a part of, I think, the physicality of the book is, is, is well that is a part of the narrative yeah, yeah. Uh, that we're drawing. We can't help but, re- but look at the contents through the cover. Uh, it's, sure. our first, it's our first entree into the book sometimes, right, right. and that, that, can be, that can be good and bad, but that's— I, I, when, I, when I think about books that I read as a kid— uh, I often think of the smell of the paperback, right? They smell different than hardcover books. It uh, smells like John King books. Yeah, right. Like John King books right. has that smell. It does, and and you you sort of you sort of get used to that, and you mm-hmm. almost uh, almost seek it out. Uh, let's go to Carrie. Carrie in Riverview. Welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Hey. How um, are you? I can relate to what Amy said about there being um, different novels throughout the stages of your life. Um, as an adult, uh, a single parent, and Cormac McCarthy's The Road had a certain poignancy, um, like in challenging times, that the immediacy of the narrator's voice sort of helped guide me um, through some difficult times. And then, but as an, a young adult, the confederacy of senses was amazing for me. Um, <laughs> I felt like an outsider, and uh, I could still resonate. Um, which is sort of embarrassing to say, but I laughed out loud many times in that book. Wow, wow, Gary, that's uh, those are great. Those are great picks too. Uh, pretty disparate though, <laughs> the, the the difference between the two of them. Uh, thanks very much for the call. Uh, let's go to let's go to Julia in Detroit. Julia, are you there? Yeah. Hi. Yeah. How are you? Good. How are you? 
Good. Um, thanks. This is one of my favorite topics. Okay. And the book for me was The Outsiders by Effie Hinton, which mm-hmm. has already been mentioned. Uh-huh. Amy talked um, about that. Yeah. Um, excellent uh, analysis, Amy. Um, it was, I was 12 years old, and it was just in one of those kind of wire book cradles in the classroom library <laughs> um, in Miss Curry's class. And I just picked it up and a little paperback, read it. And carry around in my pocket for the rest of the year. Um, I love that you remember it was Miss Curry's class. Like that's such a beautiful detail. You still remember your teacher. That's right. Goodness, it was such a yeah. Th- that book was one of the many reasons that year stood out for me. But it was the first. So the first line and the last line are exactly the same. And so as I got to the very last line, it blew me away that that could even be done that way. And so like it just made me read the book all over again right then. It's the first book that made me cry. And I remember my mom coming in saying, "What's wrong?" with you and I you know I won't give away but it's like something really horrible happened and she's like girl I thought something was wrong well like, there it is <laughs> um, so it just really the characters captured me and the idea of this greasers as this homogenous group in society but also having very different personalities as a black person was just captivating for me wow. um, it, it, there's just so it's there's so much to it I love that book yeah, that's uh, thank you very much for uh, calling and uh, and sharing that story. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful analysis of that book and and the power of that book and and it shows that that book is it has this incredible appeal across a really broad demographic. I feel like uh, isn't go ahead, Amy. isn't that just I, I love her talking about sort of like there is something wrong. She is in that world. These books bring us into these worlds so deeply that. You know, you get to the end and I I found myself shouting out, not over, no, not over. And like, you know, just wanting to stick with it. And you know, sort of part of the reason we're Shady Late is, is being in the shade of that book, the shade that it creates. Yeah, yeah. And I also think what she says about the first and the last line being the same, uh-huh. there's, right. a, there's, a, yeah, there's something about uh, the structuralism of that. I remember reading uh, Mark Danielewski's House of Leaves, which is this book that you have to physically... Uh, it's a ghost story, but you have to manipulate. You have to teach it's yourself. Crazy! I was yeah. just looking at it the other day, and I was like, well, "How do you start this? this I know. is brilliant." You have to t- you have to teach yourself how to read right. that book because some of the pages, for instance, uh, the the printing is reversed, so you have to hold it up to a mirror uh, wow. to read it, and some of the pages go black or white <laughs> depending on if the character is in light or dark. And uh, the, the last caller's comment about you know the structuralism of that and certain yeah. things that you can do with language and typeface to create an, a kind of interactive experience is you know fascinating. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, last call of the day, Vince in Riley Center. We've got about a minute left, but I wanted to get you on, Vince. Welcome to Detroit today. You there, Vince? Yeah, maybe we lost Vince. All right, let's go to John in Gross Point. John, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Yeah, we've got about 30 seconds, but I wanted to sure. make sure we got no, you. I, I just want to say I am a huge fan of a great book, uh, Frank Herbert's Dune. Um, it just Science touches fiction. on so many, yeah. yeah, so many interesting topics, government, religion, changes in the environment. Um, and he does a great job of world building. He really kind of sucks you into the, <laughs> this universe that he's created. And there's many books after the original, but the original stands the testament of time. It's just a fantastic work of uh, science fiction, world building, yeah. covers yeah. a lot of really interesting topics. Pretty good movie, too. Not great, but pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, thanks very much for the call and the comment, John. All right. Uh, thank you to Nicholas Rhombus and Amy Hamerl for being here for this 
great segment about books. We'll have to have you guys back. We'll talk about rereading books next time. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back on Wednesday next week. Uh, Everyone have a good 4th of July holiday, and we'll reconvene then. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. See you next week.